Welcome to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. In this episode, you'll hear manager of youth programs and teacher support, Jasmine Yepwin, in conversation with National Ballet of Canada Ballet Master Peter Ottman. This interview was recorded on April 8, 2018, before a performance of the National Ballet of Canada in John Newmeyer's Nijinsky. Hope you enjoy. All right, here we go. On behalf of Helgi Thomason, Artistic Director and Principal Choreographer of San Francisco Ballet, I am pleased to welcome all of you to today's performance of Nijinsky and the Meet the Artist interview. I am your host, Jasmine Hiep Wynn. Today's performance is of John Neumeyer's Nijinsky, which is performed by guest company, the National Ballet of Canada. It's been 10 years since they've been here in the Opera House, so we are absolutely thrilled to welcome them back. So, if you could, please give a warm Bay Area welcome to today's guest, National Ballet Senior Ballet Master, Peter Ottman. Thank you. Welcome, Peter. We are so excited to have you here and the company. It's been a week of wonderful performances, and sadly, today's the last one of Nijinsky. But the weather's beautiful. You'll have a nice day before you have to get back on the plane and head back to Canada. I'm going to keep your bio brief, not because you haven't done amazing things, because you have, but because we have Google, and all of you can find out all about him on National Ballet's website. Um, So feel free to add anything if I've left anything out of the Cliff Notes version. Peter was born in Ontario, Canada, and he studied at Canada's National Ballet School in Toronto. Uh, After a celebrated career as first soloist with National Ballet, you retired from the stage but continued with the company as National Ballet's resident choreologist and ballet master, and then in 2005, appointed senior ballet master, um, which you are also here today um, as a dancer on stage as the Spanish couple, is that? That's correct. one of the Spanish couples. Um, so, the only Spanish couple, actually. <laughs> um, so let's start with what is a resident choreologist? Here in San Francisco Ballet, we actually don't have a position for that. So audiences might be interested to hear about what does that person do? And, and how did you become um, a choreologist? What was involved? And um, what does that mean as far as uh, resetting and staging works? I have a kind of an unofficial definition. It says, one who studies the notation of dance movement. Choreologists use a special dance notation system to document movement and reset works. So what's all involved in being a choreologist? Um, where do I start? <laughs> Uh, Dance notation uh, was developed, Benish dance notation was developed in London, England in the late 50s by a couple, uh, he was a mathematician and a musician, his name was Rudolf Benish, his wife was a dancer with the Royal Ballet. And they realized that um, all of these masterpieces that had been coming out of the Royal Ballet were being lost in their original form because they weren't being recorded. Can you imagine Beethoven's Ninth Symphony? a bunch of musicians getting together and performing it, it never being written down, and a few years later they say, hey, let's play that piece again. You might get, if you're lucky, 70% of what the original form was. And can you imagine Shakespeare's plays not being written down? How could they ever be repeated in their uh, exact original form? So being a mathematician and a musician, he developed uh, a structure of symbols and signs written on um, five lines, uh, a musical stave, 
but it represents the human body. So if you'll imagine a five-line stave, the top line representing the top of the head of a person, the second line representing the shoulders, the third line representing the waist, the fourth line representing the knees, and the fifth line representing the feet. And if you're looking at the person from behind, you have a right side and a left side, you have front and back. So he developed three basic signs representing in front of the body, level with the body, or behind the body. And from there, you could have two level with the body signs at the shoulder height, and that would obviously represent the arms, and two level with the body uh, signs for the feet, and that would represent the person standing in second position. From there, it gets extremely complex because then you have to add irregularities, um, bent joints, uh, contact points, inverted symbols. So from these three basic signs, you have a gazillion uh, signs that go on from there um, to be able to record actually anything that the human body can do. So if a choreographer wants the pads of the fingers touching and not the tips, you can be that specific and it can drive you crazy. I love that you mentioned the specificity of the fingertips because something I noticed right away is in, in this production, um, second position isn't always a curved second position. There are some very clear moments where they are straight arms, straight elbows, straight fingertips. Um, and, and I sat there going, I wonder how Peter notates all of that. It must be very different. Um, but now you have video too, but thinking about like all those little different, I wish I had a piece of paper so you could all see what this looks like. Um, how, how long is the notation? Um, what, what does the volume size look like for a production like Nijinsky? Uh, well, I have to tell you a wonderful success story about a classmate of mine when I was at the Benish Institute many years ago. Um, she's the one who notated this ballet because she is the choreologist for John Neumeyer's company in Hamburg. Um, this ballet is epic and it's long and it's complex and she notated um, the whole thing and I have a copy of her score there's no way I would ever have had time to notate this ballet and it's ten pounds of paper and when I was setting this ballet in Australia two years ago I had it shipped <laughs> the company paid for it because I couldn't carry it um, and it's an incredible body of work. And every time I see her, I just thank you, Sonia. You have done such an amazing job. It's so well written and so accurate. One thing um, that I found uh, as I was working early on in my career with the, um, the tool of choreology was getting a hold of um, some other choreologists' um, scores. Um, was that if it just has the steps accurately musically written, staging plans, costume specifications, and all of those details, if that's all it includes, it's not finished, in my opinion. So working with this one choreographer in a score that had been written by somebody else, every time he opened his mouth, I was writing in quotes to uh, connect with the notation and the execution of the steps. Because the whole point and the whole privilege, as I see it, of my job 
is connecting the person who's dancing the piece to the person who created it. And um, it's not my ballet, it's theirs, I'm a caretaker. So, uh, for instance, this one piece, Voluntaries, that I was setting by a wonderful choreographer, Glenn Tetley, um, the ballet starts and um, the, the woman does a tombe that goes into a lift. And the way he described this simple tombe was a spiraling of the spine, and he was including the emotional context of a simple tombe. So if you just have the tombe written with the body twisting in the notation, you don't get the emotional information that makes the difference in execution to connect emotionally with the audience. That is beautiful. Um, I love that you're taking us right into emotion because to write the steps and to notate the steps of this ballet is one thing, but there's such an emotional journey um, to Nijinsky that I want to make sure that we talk about. Um, so I'm going to jump right into Nijinsky, if you don't mind, because we are, we're going to run out of time. It's an amazing production, and I want to make sure everyone's ready for it. Um, by a show of hands, how many of you have not seen this production of Nijinsky yet? Wow. Okay. Um, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You, are, you are in for a treat. This is a wonderful production. Um, I'm going to start then with a little bit of background about this. There's more information with images in your program book, so please, between the end of the interview and the curtain, please find a little bit of time to flip through your program books. Um, this is a beautiful, epic dance drama by choreographer John Neumeyer. Um, we sometimes say it differently here in the States, so I want to make sure I say it the same way that Peter does. Um, He also, John, is credited with doing a lot of the designs for this production. um, He's at Hamburg Ballet, and uh, this is one of um, his loves. And he actually described this production as a biography of the soul, which I thought was really beautiful. It really speaks to that emotional connection. John was born in Wisconsin. He is an American-born choreographer, but he is the artistic director and chief choreographer of Hamburg Ballet. So he, um, but shameless plug, he also choreographed The Little Mermaid. So visit us next season if you're interested in seeing more of his work. Um, You have taken this production on tour to Paris and around Canada and here to San Francisco. Um, So it's a production that is really close to your company's um, heart and soul. Um, The production, after the interview, you're going to see the curtain go up, actually before the uh, start of the performance, and it's going to take you into um, a hotel ballroom in Switzerland. It's January 19, 1919, and the ballet takes place during Nijinsky's final performance. Um, he, Nijinsky told his wife that this performance that he was doing was his, quote, marriage to God. And it actually was his last public performance um, before he spent the rest of his life in an asylum battling schizophrenia. The ballet does not go in chronological order. So if you're looking for a ballet that is going to show you excerpts of his work that he either choreographed or was in, this is not that ballet. It's not going to show you pure excerpts of those pieces. I wish we had a choreologist back in those days to capture his work. Um, Instead, it takes you through his mind and through time, and you get to visit people that um, impacted his life or roles that he performed or choreographed. And so it's a beautiful, emotional biography of the soul. So what 
what do our audiences, because we had a lot of hands up, um, what do our audiences need to know about the characters um, and this production uh, without giving too much away? Um, well, I can clue you into a few things. Uh, the ballet opens with uh, an exact uh, reproduction of this ballroom in this hotel in Saint-Moritz, where he gave his final performance, and there were selected invited guests. I play one of these guests. John Neumeyer decided that seeing as he was known all over the world, he would uh, have the guests who arrive be from different countries. This is his idea. So each couple that enters speaks a different language. Fortunately, I speak some Spanish. Um, <clears throat> and this is factual. In attendance, there was uh, a Swedish opera singer who was also an art critic. And it's from his notes that he took while he was attending this performance that we have any information about what actually happened that day. So John Neumeyer has taken that idea uh, and uh, shown you two different versions of uh, this solo that, uh, perhaps, that Nijinsky performed at the beginning of the ballet and at the end of the ballet. So um, in John Neumeyer's mind, Nijinsky is speaking his heart, and it's pure, raw emotion. And uh, it, the ballet starts so brilliantly um, because it's Chopin, and there are two strong chords, and the dancer starts with two strong movements. The first movement is a movement of rejection. He's rejecting the horror and the atrocities and the damage that is happening in the world because of the war. And the second movement is an, um, uh, an open-bodied shape um, expressing that Nijinsky wants to embrace and heal the world. The solo goes on, and um, at one point, John Neumeyer has the, uh, Nijinsky um, executing a, um, a very grotesque movement. Um, keep in mind that the audience thought they were coming to see the world's greatest dancer and to see his incredible elevation, his beautiful footwork, his incredible magnetism and charisma. And they were seeing something very grotesque and shocking. And some of them left. Um, so this particular movement, to me, uh, looks like uh, his expression of the world cannibalizing itself. Um, then what John Neumeyer does is he has Nijinsky um, change gears, so to speak, and he turns to his audience and says, uh, and realizes that his message isn't being understood, and says, oh, you came to see my beautiful footwork, my extreme elevation, my extraordinary talents, and you came to be entertained. Well, I can do that, too even though that's not what art is for. So he entertains them, and the guests uh, are quite satisfied and pleased. And from there, um, he opens up Nijinsky's mind of memories, and slowly coming into the stage are all of these different aspects of his performance life. So the first act is really about extravaganza of his career, his um, celebrity status, and performance. The second act of the ballet is completely different and is about the reality of the tragedy of his life. Um, there's one uh, section in the beginning, shortly after his first solo, 
where his brother and sister enter, their first entrance in the ballet. Um, all of the guests are in a freeze, so you understand that it's a flashback for him. And he's dancing with his brother and sister, and it's sort of a sailor's hornpipe dance. And my interpretation of this is, well, when I was a young dancer, the first thing every young dancer learned was this sailor's hornpipe, and it was the same choreography for everybody, and it was kind of like learning songs around a campfire at camp when you're a kid, a rite of passage, so to speak. And all of a sudden, Nijinsky freezes as his brother and sister continue, and John said in one rehearsal, he freezes because he's remembering his mother's voice, keep smiling and her instructions, and he's also remembering a happier time in his life. So there are these wonderful, extremely simple choreographic and dramatic moments that John Neumeyer always finds in every one of his works. And to me, the power is in the simplicity. There's another place um, where um, later on... Um, Nijinsky is found alone in a studio and he's experimenting with his groundbreaking choreography that he and his sister were, that was the crux of their work. And he's presenting himself uh, as a blank slate. And he, he repeatedly takes this posture throughout the ballet. And Diaghilev enters. Now we all know that um, when Nijinsky was a young dancer and graduating, Diaghilev had noticed him in more ways than one and um, called to have him brought to his apartment and took him as his lover. And uh, that is represented very delicately in this duet. And it's, it's showing the power that this man had over this man's career. Um, he simply wraps his arms around Nijinsky, picks him up, and puts him down a few paces to the side, and stands back and looks at him. And it's as if, as if he's saying, you are now here because I put you here. Now I will put you here. And to me it's so simple, but it captures everything. Um, I'm, I'm like playing those moments back in my mind now. I'm like, I, I need to need to watch more carefully um there's there's so many beautiful moments that they they use this this opening um uh motif that you had talked about as well as this one and um and i'm one and, and different characters do it at different times and i'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about some of those movement motifs what are those meanings that the audience can or 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 if they have multiple meanings and, and how um, that relates to the different people in his life, whether it's his sister, his brother, his mother, um, his lover, his Diaghilev, or his wife, um, or the other roles and characters that you see that were part of his career. Mm -hmm. Well, eventually, um, Nijinsky became obsessed with the shape of the circle. Um, for him, uh, I think it meant perfection. It meant... Um, <clears throat> peace, it meant healing, it meant um, resolution, everything he couldn't seem to find in the world that he lived in. So with uh, in, in this first solo that uh, he does at the very beginning of the ballet, at one point he creates the shape of a circle and then he embraces himself with it. <clears throat> you can draw many meanings from that. And also throughout the ballet there are 
these circles, uh, they're uh, very large and it's a, a, a light, a lit circle. And again, I think it's uh, John being the designer and the choreographer was just using that as such an iconic symbol as a part of the set design. And, and it's, it's beautiful and it's brilliant. And again, it just uh, reminds you of this shape that had become so embedded in this man's mind that it, in this man's mind that he chased after it uh, incessantly, hoping and wanting healing and peace. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned those two circles. Um, for those of you who are sitting in the upper um, seats, it's beautiful from there. Like the scenic design, the use of light and shadow, the, the strips um, of light on the floor versus um, the two circles. It's really uh, a beautiful moment to connect to what's happening on stage. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk about uh, the emotional journey that our dancers take as well as our audiences because uh, as a ballet master it's one thing to rehearse the steps and and the timing and all of that that happens in the studio but but where does that emotion when when do you bring that in because it is a, a very um, strong powerful impactful piece uh, that everyone is emotionally invested in and I think audiences really feel that so how do you as a ballet master bring that into the rehearsal and performance process well you know there are many aspects to the genius of John Neumeyer um, just an aside uh, he's drawn from, it always amazes me, um, the choices of music that choreographers use. He's drawn from Chopin, Shostakovich, and Rimsky-Korsakov, and different pieces of music from those composers' life, iconic pieces. But the way that he weaves them together, the choices that he's made, and the way that he weaves them together with the emotional landscape that he's creating... You can sit and watch this performance and think that that music was composed specifically for the ballet. And it, to me, that's just amazing. Um, sorry, your question was? <laughs> <laughs> um, the emotional journey. How, do you, right. um, how, how, how does that, that process and that journey work for the dancers on stage? This is the other aspect to John Neumeyer's genius. The way that he can get inside, a step inside a person's experience or life and... Um, in such incredible detail, emotionally, craft out possible scenarios of their thought processes, of their experience, and flesh it out in, choreo in choreography. Um, and so the wonderful thing is when you have him around and how he uh, dramatically coaches um, the work and the moments um, so that the, the emotional depth and the dramatic depth is um, real and uh, has such integrity. Um, I'll talk briefly about Romola. This was a young woman who at the age of 19 or 20 or 21 saw Nijinsky perform for the first time and it was so taken. I mean, this was a man who burst onto the world uh, with such charisma and presence the likes of the, which the world had never seen before. Um, sometimes I hate to use this analogy, but maybe it's kind of like when Elvis Presley first showed up. People were shocked. Um, his talent and his versatility was extreme. And she saw him perform, and she said, that's it, it's him, and my life is going to be with him. And so when she would go to the theater, she was um, 
she lived a privileged life. Her mother was a prominent actress, and um, she was used to a very high standard of living. And she would always get the closest seat to the stage so that she could be as close to him as possible. So she took up dance lessons and eventually got to the level where she could actually audition for and enter the Ballet Russe. Um, on a trip to South America, she knew that Nijinsky traveled first class and the deck that he crossed at a certain time of day. She got herself a first class ticket and intercepted him on that deck and started this romance. They ended up getting married. She thought she was going to enjoy the life of privilege that she was used to uh, with his notoriety. She didn't get any of that. She ended up taking care of him for the rest of his life and had a life of grief and extreme constant challenges. Um, in the second half of the ballet, that's where this is represented. I'll also briefly talk about his brother, Stanislav, who at a very young age had um, an accident falling out of a second story window and was um, mentally damaged and never the same. The second act starts, so uh, Stanislav's um, first entrance in the ballet is him walking on the stage but on a different plane to what we experience. People of sound mind experience the world as we see it. People who have mental illness or are mentally damaged their lives are off kilter. So to me, it's genius the way John Neumeyer shows Stanislav entering the stage, walking, but in a completely different plane. Um, in the second act, Stanislav, it starts with, um, the second act starts with a group of bodies just pulsating on the stage. And the lights are low, so it's almost as though you don't know what you're seeing this undulating on the stage. And it's John Neumeyer's idea of um, pods of, of society and communities uh, just struggling to survive the horrors of the war. And eventually they all stand up and they raise a hand and they all tip over sideways a little bit. And eventually Stanislav stands on the shoulders of two men and they, the whole group executes this move and Stanislav does a slow motion fall and he's caught and they continue carrying him across the stage in slow motion until he's completely inverted. It is a representation of this accident that he had, but it's also John connecting the idea that um, with the war, the whole world is being turned upside down and irreparably damaged. Um, Moving on to, or going back to Romola, uh, there is a pas de deux in the second act that is called the sled pas de deux. And she's pulling Nijinsky from place to place on a sled. Uh, it's the choreographer's um, idea to represent how she had to hide him and move him from institution to institution. And I asked him about the sled one day. Uh, why a sled? And he said, well, I could have used a wagon. Uh, I was trying to find some kind of a vehicle that would you know, show her uh, exhaustive struggle with this constant moving around. And then I remembered that Nijinsky uh, got great thrill out of flying down these steep slopes on a sled. So I thought I'd use a sled instead. Again, the details and the way that he connects factual um, events in people's lives to the emotional landscape that he's trying to construct. It's really 
the poetry of it all is really wonderful. Oh, it is. <clears throat> I'm so glad that we got to the sled. I think that it's so powerful um, to find that connection. We are at time. I can hear them actually moving things backstage, and I, um, I wish we had more time. I'm sure that you have questions, and I apologize that we did not get to any of the audience questions. Peter, I could sit here and talk to you um, about so many other aspects of this production, and I wish we had time, but we are out. Um, so on behalf of San Francisco Ballet and National Ballet of Canada, thank you for coming to the ballet and supporting the arts. Please thank Peter for his wonderful knowledge and sharing your passion with us here. My pleasure. Thank you. For more information about San Francisco Ballet, please visit our website or info table. Um, next season just was announced so you can learn more about what's to come and John's Little Mermaid. And please visit National Ballet of Canada's website as well. Thank you and enjoy the show. Thanks for listening to San Francisco Ballet's Meet the Artist podcast. For other podcasts and audience engagement programming, please check out sfballet.org explore.